Lord of wisdom, love, and compassion, please ready our hearts and minds to think like you, the way you think about us and about our world. Permit us to hear your voice over the clanging of pain and anger which resonates in and around us. I pray that you'll be honored and glorified today as we gather in your name and seek your guidance. Amen. So the last time I shared with you uh, was kind of early April, mid-April, and we were about a month into our world pandemic, and um, things were really crazy, and we didn't really know how to feel or how to act. And at the time, I shared this idea of initiation, that times of trial and tribulation can actually be wonderful opportunities for us to transform into um, beings that are more like what the Lord is hoping for us in our lives. And here we are months later, and we're even more mucked up by everything, and we have um, social strife in so many different areas of our, of our life now. And it felt like at the beginning of COVID, we always had a spirit of we're all in this together, and, and now it doesn't quite feel that way. Um, places where we used to go to feel kind of a sense of commonality and comfort, people and places now can kind of feel hostile. And it's hard to know, um, feeling that sense of division in our own communities, uh, what to do. So I think at varying levels, we're all giving into the vacuum of conflict that the world is, is um, going through. And, and we all feel fear. And of course, fear causes us to lash out defensively. That's a, a normal human reaction. But I guess today I want to ask, how can we as Jesus followers subdue some of those human inclinations and instead choose to live into our citizens as heavenly, eternal beings um, in an eternal kingdom, and instead of contributing to the battles that are raging around us? So to gain some insights, maybe some food for thought on our journey, we're going to take a, a look, a trip back to um, a time with the disciples when they were really just kind of on the um, early end of their relationship with Jesus. We're looking at Matthew 5, which contains Jesus' Sermon on the Mount and the famous Beatitudes, which personally I've read through, you know, so many times, they're so familiar, and yet every time I read, I kind of get stuck, I stumble through and try to figure it out and then kind of just move on. Um, so I kind of had a, I a really great experience looking at these, um, these Beatitudes a little more deeply, and I hope that, hope I'm not the only one who's been a little bit confused, but I hope that we can look at this together and um, have some new understanding. And, and the thing about the Beatitudes is they really create a framework for the kingdom that Jesus was inviting his disciples into. And you have to remember the context. The Jews were waiting and waiting and waiting for a Messiah who they really expected to be an earthly, military, political power. They thought um, maybe he would kind of lead Israel to be a world power. So let's Think about the Beatitudes. Um, I want you to imagine yourself sitting there with the disciples, with your new acquaintance, Jesus, and uh, maybe you're thinking some things like they did. Maybe this is the Messiah, and he's going to overthrow, overthrow the local government, flex some strength. Maybe you think by joining him uh, on the early end, you might end up being part of his royal court when he rises to power. And then I want you to, with those thoughts in mind, note your emotional reactions as Jesus gets going with these blessings. Um, and ask yourself if this is really the kind of kingdom in which you want to dwell. One where earthly accomplishments and glory are deferred, if not foregone altogether. And where suffering is to be expected. So we're going to begin with verse 1 of chapter 5. Now when he saw the crowds, he went up on the mountainside and sat down. 
His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So what does it mean to be poor in spirit? When someone is poor in spirit, they deeply grasp their nothingness before God. The poor in spirit realize the necessity to be emptied of oneself in order to be filled with God. In comparison, the spiritual leaders of the day, the Pharisees, they were really spiritually proud. They were confident in their own understanding and in their own ability to fulfill um, all of the different laws. They were really sure that they knew how to access the kingdom of God. And yet Jesus later says, we have to become like children to enter the kingdom. Very different than um, the Pharisees' mindset. The poor in spirit experience the kingdom of heaven in the now because they already assume the correct posture for admission into the kingdom. Verse 4, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. So this mourning is not in reference to general grief. It's in relationship to sin. This mourning is a recognition of the pain and separation that sin causes. Those who mourn identify with God's own mourning and as we, as we perpetually turn away from him. Jesus, as Savior, as Reconciler, brings comfort to those who mourn. In contrast, when we celebrate and indulge in our sinful, selfish lifestyles, we exchange that spiritual comfort for earthly pleasures. Verse 5, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. I'm sure you've heard it many times, meek does not mean weak, even though we continue to kind of think of it that way. Uh, this meekness rather expresses great strength in the form of endurance and long-suffering. A teachability, a willingness to listen, exhibiting empathy, living out the gospel with long-term goals in mind. These are the hallmarks of the meekness uh, which Jesus was referring to. In contrast to meekness, think of those of us, I included, who are very forceful and assertive, and we need to be right, and we want to get what we want, no matter what. So the Jews were kind of like that, a lot of them, because they had these great expectations for the Messiah to be a strong, successful, earthly leader. They wouldn't accept him any other way, really. But the empire they envisioned was, was not going to be fulfilled by Jesus. Rather, the meek style that he and his disciples would adopt looked like defeat and humiliation. In the long run, however, we're reminded that those faithful will inherit the new earth. Verse 6, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. You've probably heard me say it before. It's one of my favorite things um, in the Bible. Righteousness is defined by being right, being rightly related to God and others. It means recognizing that primarily we need a relationship with God in order to be made complete. When we try to navigate life and relationships on our own without that connection to God being primary, and he's the whole and pure one, and so we can't do it. We're out of kilter. We feel empty. But when we connect our hearts to the Lord first, we will experience that fullness. Verse 7, blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown, shown mercy. Mercy is when forgiveness is granted instead of due punishment. It's also training oneself not to be offended. This is in sharp contrast to the eye-for-an-eye nature of the Old Testament. It also seems counter to our culture today. It feels now like you can't express an opinion without offending someone or hearing someone's opinion and, and not being offended yourself. Like we're, we're kind of all in this situation. Um, and our world seems to have this insatiable appetite for calling others out, for highlighting the failures and sins of others, broadcasting 
them, is if those of us who are doing so are totally blameless. John Piper says, mercy comes from mercy. Our mercy to each other comes from God's mercy to us. So when we extend mercy, we will experience mercy. Verse 8, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. The pure in heart, they're not motivated by evil desires and purposes. The pure in heart have the ability to see Jesus as God's salvation, as the Messiah, because they don't prioritize selfish objectives. Their, their vision is not obscured by their own objectives. To see Jesus for who he is, is to see God. Many of us cannot see Jesus for who he is because we're blinded by our own agendas or the goals that we expect Jesus to help us achieve. Many of us fall prey to this in our own, um, when we try to mold Jesus into our own image to reflect our beliefs. We've probably all said something like, well, the Jesus I know, dot, dot, dot. Verse 9, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. So rather than promoting their own ideals over those of others, rather than stirring pots of contention, rather than seeking domination in verbal, emotional, or physical battles, Peacemakers sacrifice worldly power as they work to build peace between individuals and within communities. Successful or not, they are the children of the King of Peace as they promote his attributes. When we choose not to be peacemakers, perhaps we should ask ourselves, to whom do we belong? And verses 10 and 11, kind of wrapping things up, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Again, having a right relationship with God, choosing his ways over our own, over the ways of the world, may create much discomfort in your life. Loyalty to Jesus will result in suffering. And yet, this reminder is your morsel of encouragement. Your reward is in heaven. The earth is not our final destination. There's so much more life of the eternal variety ahead. So you've heard all this now, um, and, I, and I wonder, do you want this kind of citizenship? Do you want to dwell in this kingdom, this counterintuitive, upside-down kingdom? Are you ready to embrace your nothingness? Are you ready to grieve deeply over your sin and disconnection from God? Are you ready to set your own worldly ambitions aside and adopt a spirit of meekness to become disciplined in patience and humility, to suffer for the gospel over the long haul? Do you hunger to be right with God and your fellow man? Are you willing to be a halt, put a halt to being offended? Can you put your own agenda aside and seek the Lord's instead? Are you ready to hold back on your seething opinions and bite your tongue in order to listen with compassion to your perceived enemies? Even though I want to answer yes, really weakly to these, <laughs> I know I fail all the time. Um, you know, this, the, the way the world is right now, there's like this toxic waste of fear and secondary emotions like anger and violence and rebellion. And I know I experience these things. These are true in my life, too. I'm feeling this range of emotions and trying to figure out how not to and, and when it's appropriate to feel these things. It's, it's a real me mess. Um, and just in my own family, we love each other, you know, things are pretty much okay, but um, I think you probably maybe have been in a situation like this, like a text exchange where um, 
everything becomes a little bit more heated and passionate. People are offering opinions because they really think, oh, you need to hear this, then you'll understand what I, what I believe and you'll agree with me maybe. Um, so, you know, all these facts are exchanged and links to news articles and things get built up and up and people start hurling insults about leaders and you just start feeling, I feel emotional. Maybe not everyone feels emotional. I get emotional and I want to, I want to say this or that and I'm trying not to because I know it's not really going to be helpful, but sometimes I can't resist just, just, just read this, you know, that, you know. Anyways, <laughs> I struggle. I don't think I'm the only one, um, but in my own, this is my home family, my, my parents, my, my brother and his sister, uh, my brother and his wife. Um, in my home, we grew up, it was like a mini democracy. So I was kind of trained to have a voice and, and we would have debates and it was just welcome. It was a free for all and, and it was empowering. It was empowering, but often we would each walk away from the debate feeling like the victor, like, yeah, I won that one. But we all feel that. So really we're just all losers. We're all losers. And we didn't practice humility. We didn't practice um, apologizing or being reconciled. It was not something that I learned. And my family, we loved Jesus. We were trying to be his followers, but we were failing without even knowing it. So I think a lot of us find ourselves in that kind of cycle. And I still really like a good fight because of that training. And my, my husband's much more of a, a peace-loving, um, like, let's just be calm and say encouraging words to each other as we talk about our differences. And I just want to, you know, bring out my fist and, and shake it. So I'm, I'm trying to grow. And I think that, um, that pro I was a product of a home where I was empowered. And in some ways that was fine. But in other ways, it led to a lot of pride in my own life. It led to um, a lack of ability to recognize my own sin. And I was really assertive and, and um, arrogant going after what I wanted. Even though they were good things, my attitude towards them was just kind of uh, brash and assertive. And I thought I was living a righteous life, but you know, it wasn't later till I really understood a little bit more about how I was being separated from God by pursuing things my way instead of his. And I also thought I was a peacemaker. But I didn't, I couldn't forgive people. So I realized my peacemaking efforts were really in vain um, and until I was willing to give and receive forgiveness and understand that that was the healing balm for relationships, I, I was lost. So I've been trying as an adult to grow in these areas and it's been amazing. Um, but I think that we always have room to grow. If we are citizens of this kingdom, we're unfortunately kind of stuck in, these, in the, this spot where we're in human bodies on this physical planet, but our spirits, our souls, they have a final destination elsewhere. And, and they're kind of connecting us to the now and to the, the future. And so we kind of slide back and forth between these two realms. And, and that's normal, it's normal, um, and it's okay. Um, but these times where we're having a global shaking and, and our, our local experiences, our home experiences are being shaken, we have to take up this opportunity to be prompted towards growing more. Like the rubber hits the road in these moments, and that's a wonderful thing. Um, and so we have these moment by moment, day by day decisions to think, am I going to be a citizen of the kingdom or am I going to give in to this earthly, these earthly ways, these earthly tendencies that are in me? And, and, and I'm not talking about like 
this being, um, you know, you can't just choose to be a citizen of the kingdom once. It's not a stamp your passport once and done thing. Like, it's an active, ongoing um, choice that we're making. I remember years ago, Shannon said that we don't choose Jesus just once. We choose him every day. You have to. So I think that uh, that's the same kind of reminder here. It's going to be a battle every day in our hearts to be different than, than the earth, than the worldly ways. Um, so another point I want to make is that it's in these moments of crisis, it matters most to be intentional about our kingdom citizenship because the pandemic, our race relations, whether to wear a mask or not, these things are not really about you. You may feel them very deeply, very personally, but it's not really, these are not really the issues. The issue really is worldwide, are people going to know where to find lasting peace? Do they know where true life comes from? This is a global experience, and if you're caught up in your own personal passionate beliefs about the world's goings on, you're probably going to miss the opportunity to offer rivers of living water to your thirsty neighbors. And you might be pursuing what feels like salvation, that's something very different than Jesus. Maybe pinning your hopes of salvation on this issue, this issue, instead of Jesus. And um, then you're going to miss out on this opportunity to be part of, of the kingdom in, in a really vital way. Um, after Jesus shared the Beatitudes, he said in verse 13 through 16, you are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. So folks, this is a time like no other. And, and there are kind of two areas I want to address that, two things we need to be very mindful of in these times. So number one is hang tight to the Lord and his kingdom precepts. Despite all the distractions, hang tight. Don't be useless, unsalty salt. Don't be like the late figs that drop to the ground in Revelation 6. These figs represent believers who fall off the vine in times of tribulation, and they're no good to anyone. Instead, invest in the Lord. Spend time in his word. Grow into a mature fruit, connected to the life source, so you'll be strong and ready to feed the hungry. And let me tell you some other things that can happen, especially in times of trial. You can take that plug that goes into the life source, and you can plug it into earthly attachments. It's like a power source, right? You can plug into all these different things that give you a sense of security and in importance. It could be money. It could be your job. It could be working out. It could be your family. All good things. I'm not saying to cut ties to any of those things. It's your relationship to those things that becomes the problem. Because, again, you're, you're kind of clinging to these different things that are not eternal, necessarily. And you're hoping for them to save you. And then you're, you're, you're unable to see the truth of where life, where real life comes from. You've got to plug into the heavenly power source, not the earthly power source. So uh, number two, you've got to nurture your relationships with others in your circle, particularly non-believers. You need to prime your pump for those rivers of living water to flow. And it's, it's so important to remember, if you get that 
pump flowing and you've got a fountain of life, make sure you put it in a really safe territory. Don't, don't let it be near uh, in an area where you're going to have sabotage or guerrilla warfare. This needs to be a safe location for people to come and drink this living water. You need to be cho you need to choose to be loving, to listen well, to be respectful, even if you disagree 100% with uh, with another person. Um, I the, I'm saying you, I I need to do these things. We all need to be thinking about these things in this way. We don't realize that when we enter into conversations with a goal to convince something, that we are entering that conversation with an intent, maybe not thought out, to disconnect. If we don't come to a place of agreement, we're going to disconnect. So we need to make a choice to enter conversations with the intention to connect, be connected. When we're angry and passionate, we just don't see that we're choosing disconnection. We don't re recognize that we're resulting issues over the relationships. Um, because we just feel so right, and, and this is so important, right? And again, that's an example of like thinking, this is salvation, this is what you must think. No, no, these are distractions. In truth, in these moments of disagreement, we have a responsibility. And I mean, we have a response, and we have the ability to respond. You need to say, what is my ability to respond? Because I am responsible in this situation, in this relationship. And if I don't respond with the ability, an ability that's empowered by the Holy Spirit, I'm going to mess things up. I'm going to sever relationships that I might never be able to restore again. I might miss out on the chance to share living water. Furthermore, we, we just don't have to agree on everything. We don't. It's okay. We can gently, thoughtfully change the subject, walk away. It's okay. Because if we don't, we're going to make enemies out of these people who we disagree with. And we don't need, the, the problem is not human, right? These are issues. These are the, my friend is not the problem who disagrees with me. When I make my friend or this person into the problem, I've been totally deceived. Ephesians 6.12 reminds us that our struggle is not against flesh and blood. Don't make it about the person, okay? Um, you know, when we are deceived, when we think that we are righteously pursuing some issue, and this is more important, what we're actually doing is partnering with the deceiver. And that's, that's the amazing thing about deception. We don't even know we've been deceived. And here we are walking arm in arm with the deceiver because we think this is so important, right? We've been deceived. We're partnering with him. We're partnering with the accuser and the destroyer, the divider. That is not the path we want to go down. As citizens of a heavenly kingdom, we must be able to see things through a different lens. We must be able to shake off the false power of anger, which makes us feel strong. It's, it's false. It's not real. And instead, seek and become one with the counselor of love. We need to purposefully access the Holy Spirit to be our guide, to help us each day, in each stressful, controversial moment of life, to help us maintain our kingdom mindset instead of slipping back into our earthly predispositions. The lost are looking for life. They don't know that's what they're looking for, but that's what they're looking for. Are you and I ready to invite them into the kingdom, or will they continue to wander? I'm going to close with um, Dr. Charles Stanley's uh, thoughts on the Beatitudes. He says, this is the nature of the kingdom. As we love Jesus, sorry, as we love, as we who love Jesus live in its light, we may look strange to observers. But those who live out the Beatitudes and the ethics of Jesus' sermon 
those who are merciful, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, and those who are pure in heart. Speak hope to a world in desperate need of it. It's the challenge and the promise of these short, powerful statements of Jesus, words that have the power to change the course of history. Let's pray. Jesus, Messiah, our Savior, please help us to see you for who you are. To see past, not to see past you or try to fit you into our own system of beliefs. Please guide us to be willingly disciplined in your ways, to have hearts of love, patience, gentleness, mercy, and self-control, hearts that are destined for a place beyond the now. Help us to remember that even the most pressing issues will not offer us salvation, that you alone are our salvation. As the evil one divides us, pressing us to take sides, remind us that you are the only way, you are the only truth, and that with and through you, your kingdom shall come. 